There he is. I had um, an announcement here. I thought Chuck was going to do it, but he must be gone. Anyway, the, there's a, a men's event coming up, guys. It's in the bulletin there. There's a men's retreat. In, um, it's going to be on the 20th and 21st. As guys, we do a men's retreat. We don't do a multiple night men's retreat like the ladies. Um, it's hard to get you guys to even get one night put away. So one night, and um, we'll, it'll be the 20th and the 21st. It's going to be at Spring Canyon. It's a new facility for us. It's going to be near Buena Vista. We're, 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 even though it's not until October, we're wanting to try to get a head count of how many people would be interested in coming. It would be that Friday evening. We would have a meal there, and there would be teachings and studies on Friday evening, along with worship, and then um, uh, all day uh, Saturday, and then we'd come home Saturday uh, uh, around dinner time, kind of a thing. But uh, we, since it's a new facility, and we don't have a relationship with these people like we had with our with our other facility, um, they're they're requiring a head count that's pretty close to what um, is going to be coming. And they want to know that and then charge us a deposit based upon that. So we want to try to get as, as best of an idea as we can. So if you're thinking that you're going to be able to come to that, um, we'd rather have your name down now. And if something happened later on, um, that's fine. There's no, there's no down payment or deposit that you need to make now. Just uh, write your name, which is on the... Um, if you can do that in the um, information counter as you're heading back to the kids' uh, classrooms there, there's a sign-up sheet. So if you could do that. Also, the, the ladies' uh, brunch, it's a brunch, right? Okay, ladies' brunch is on the 19th, and there's a sign-up sheet for that as well, I saw. Is that correct? Okay. So if you could, ladies could sign up for that, that'll be Saturday, uh, the 19th at 9 a.m. So there's your announcements. Um, this morning we're going to be, like I said, in chapter 43, and um, it's a it's a it's an interesting chapter. We're still uh, discussing. We're still in this time when Joseph is uh, dealing with his brothers, and actually God through Joseph is dealing with these uh, ten sons of Jacob, the, the 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 men who would become the nation of Israel, and. As we begin to talk about them and, and look at this chapter, um, let's pray and then we'll get started. Father, as we enter into your word this morning as your church, as your bride, um, as your sons and as your daughters, Father, I pray that your word would go forth like rain and that it would do the work, God, that you intend for it to do, that you would do the work in us that you've set out to do today. God, you've been working in each one of our lives and You've been taking us all through different things in this last week, and, and God, you, you have a desire, Lord, to have your word reach us right where we're at. And so I pray, God, that you would do that through your Holy Spirit. Lord, I know that your word is, is, is alive, it's powerful, and Lord, it has the ability to penetrate into our hearts like nothing else can. So I pray, God, that you would do that. I pray, Lord, that our lives and our hearts and our minds would be open to hear and to receive what you have for us this morning, Lord, that we would be encouraged, that we would be filled with joy and hope and knowledge of you and the understanding of your great love for us. Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning who's struggling with that because of the weight of their own sin, because of their own faults and failures, or, or because, Lord, they've still not trusted their lives into your hands. I pray that <clears throat> you would meet us each individually where we're at and do the work of, of that, of drawing us to you, God, in a way that you only can. I pray, God, that you would save. I pray, God, um, I pray, God, that you would help us to see this life that we live in a whole new light even again this morning as we come into your presence. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> um, the Bible says um, that all sin is common to man. And really what that means on the base level is, is that even though we're, we're, we're different, even though we're individuals and we're all 
uniquely made and designed and created by God. We all have this same nature, this sin nature, the Bible says. And, and um, we have a propensity as a result of that sin nature to sin. Sinner's sin. And we may struggle with different kinds of sins um, individually and, and, and uniquely. It's, and one person here may have a, a struggle with a, a, a certain kind of sin that another person may not, and vice versa. <clears throat> but, but in that, we, we all face the same kind of challenges. As a matter of fact, it tells us that when Christ walked upon the earth, even though he remained sinless, it tells us that he was tempted in every way that we are tempted, and yet, of course, was without sin. And, and I put that out there because <clears throat> what may be common to, to, to uh, well, what, what we struggle with is, is a common thing that we all share. And, and I say that when we begin here is because as we look at Jacob again a little bit more and we look at the sons and Jacob and their interaction here, um, we see some things I think that we can relate to. And I think it's safe to say that all of us know what it's like to be facing a difficult situation and come to the place where we feel like our back is up against the wall. Have you ever been in that spot? Maybe you're in that spot this morning. Maybe you're in a place where <clears throat> you have no options. You, have, you feel like you have no choices. That the decision you have to make is one that you don't really want to make. And, and we're, when we're in that situation where we feel like our back's up against the wall, a difficult thing comes upon us, you know, we, we had to or we have to make a decision to do something that we really don't want to do and, and lots of times we do that and we make that hard decision, the decision that we don't want to do, but we do it even with the understanding that we know that decision is the right decision. We know that it is for our own good, but yet we resist. We hold on. And clearly, when we read this chapter today, what you're going to see, this is where Jacob was at. This is where Jacob found himself to be. He found himself in a spot where his back, up, his back was up against a wall. He was having to face the fact that this famine that was severe had spread across the land and the potential starvation <clears throat> that it had brought to him and his family, he had to face the fact that it wasn't going away anytime soon. Remember, back in chapter 42, we were told that there had been this famine that had swept across the land. And, and when Jacob and his family begin to run out of food, they heard that there was grain in Egypt. And so Jacob spoke to his ten sons, and he sent them on a 300-mile journey to go and buy grain. And we know that upon their arrival, they had to stand before the governor of Egypt, we're told. <clears throat> and they had explained to him how they had traveled from a far-off land, that they were foreigners from the land of Canaan. But they had come to buy food. But rather than be given the opportunity to, to buy some food, to buy some grain... They were accused four different times by this governor of being spies who'd come to spy out the nakedness of the land, to see the weakness in the land of Egypt. And consequently, the governor put them in prison. Now we know that Joseph, their younger brother, who had been sold into slavery by them years prior, that he was the governor of Egypt at this time. And we are told that Joseph recognized them as his brothers, but yet they did not recognize him, even though, like I said, they, 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 that he was their younger brother. And even though Joseph had it within his power, we talked about this last week, to punish them for what they had done, what we read is that he had accused them, what we were told is that he had accused them of being these spies and cast them into prison in order to test them, to see if they were different and if they had changed. He didn't cast them into prison to punish them. <clears throat> but as we, as we read on last week, we see that they were only put in prison for three days. And that on the third day, Joseph ended up releasing nine of the brothers, sold them some grain, the grain that they had come for, and sent them home. However, Joseph kept one brother back, the tenth, Simeon. 
And he locked them in prison, and he instructed the other nine to return home to go and retrieve their youngest brother, who had been left behind with their father Jacob. And, and, or actually kept behind, that's a better word, kept behind by their father Jacob. And Joseph did this all under God's direction. You know, remember, he came to him three days later, and he said, Do this and live, for I fear God. And he had sent them under God's direction, and he enacted this plan that was um, given to him by God to, to do two things. First, it was a test to determine for Joseph if they'd been telling the truth since they had spoken about having this younger brother um, when they were denying being spies. But more importantly, this test was something that God was using to convict Joseph's brothers of their past sin in order that there might be restoration and reconciliation through repentance, to restore Joseph back to his brothers who had previously betrayed him. And this is further revealed by Jacob's response to his nine sons, if you remember, when they came back from Egypt without Simeon and told of how Simeon would not be released unless they went back with their youngest brother, Benjamin. Remember, Benjamin was Joseph's only other full brother. They were both born to Rachel, Jacob's favorite wife, and consequently, we know that Jacob had shown favor to Joseph, and he was now showing favoritism to Benjamin. And so when these sons came back without Simeon and spoke of how um, they had to go back with Benjamin in order to retrieve or to uh, get Simeon released, Jacob's grief was, was, was brought to the surface. It, his grief over the loss of Joseph was reignited, And because he now also feared the possibility of losing his other favored son, we're told that he refused. He refused to send Benjamin back with his sons, and in doing so, he wrote off Simeon. He counted him as lost. In fact, we see and we are told that Jacob was so blinded by his grief and that he felt such a sense of hopelessness in this moment, all of these things leading him to this place where his back would be put up against a wall to do something that he, would not, that he did not really want to do. We're told in chapter 42, verse 36, that Jacob said this. He said, all of these things are against me. And isn't that how it feels in those moments, in those times? And maybe it's even something that we've got ourselves into. But we know that God works good through all of our situations. In all of our circumstances, He's in control. But yet we feel in those moments like all of these things are against me. And and, and, and Jacob said that as he remembered the loss of Joseph. And as he was now grieving the loss of Simeon. But, but in that, like I already said, God was doing a good work. God was doing a good work, and, and Jacob's grief alongside the threat that was now before Simeon, all of those things were being used by God to do a good work in the hearts and the minds of Jacob's sons. And this, in part, was the reason for why, if you remember last week, Reuben, one of these sons, was willing to even offer his own sons, two of his sons, as surety if Jacob would just agree to send Benjamin back so that they might retrieve Simeon. But Jacob refused to change his mind. He refused to make a decision. However, what we read now in this chapter is that the famine wasn't going away. The famine was severe in the land, and the grain was not going to last, that grain that they had come back from Egypt with. And even though we do not know how much time has passed between the events recorded in chapter 42 and what we now read here in chapter 43, we do know that all of the grain that was brought back from Egypt was eventually eaten up. And then the threat of starvation is what God used in this situation. It was one of the circumstances that he used to bring Jacob up against a wall and move him to do what he did not want to do. And so, in verse 1 of chapter 43, I'll read if you'll follow along. It says, Now the famine was severe in the land, and it came to pass when they had eaten up the grain which they had brought from Egypt, that their father said to them, go back and buy us a little, a, a little food. Now, I, I wonder how that conversation went. Obviously, it's an instruction. It's a command. 
Um, but Jacob was well aware of the fact, right, at this point that the governor of Egypt had required them to return with Benjamin. And so by asking them to do this, he was putting his other nine sons in a very dangerous situation. So I wonder if, 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 if when he came to him, it was a little sheepishly, hey guys, we're running out of food. Why don't you go on back? But we read in verse 3 that Judah spoke up. And Judah spoke to him saying, the man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. If you send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. But if you will not send him, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And Israel said, why do you deal so why why did you deal so wrongfully with me as to tell the man whether you had still another brother why have you put me in this situation right but they said the man asked us pointedly about ourselves and our family saying is your father still alive and have you another brother and we told him according to those words could we possibly have known that he would he would say, bring your brother down. Then Judah, verse 8, said to Israel, your father, send the lad with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die, both we and you and also our little ones. He says in verse 9, I myself will be surety for him. And from my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. For if we had not lingered surely by now we would have returned the second time so again there's an indication that a, a, a longer period of time than what would have been expected even by joseph remember they're going to go back to this guy who was expecting them to return immediately right some time had passed and then verse 11 their father their father israel said to them if it must be so then do this if it must be so if there's no other way then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land in your vessels and carry down a present for the man, a little balm and a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. Take double the money in your hand and take back in your hand the money that you returned the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man and then after all those things jacob in verse 14 said and may god almighty give you mercy before the man that he may release your brother your other brother and benjamin if i am bereaved i i am bereaved in other words if all's lost then all's lost right so the man <laughs> doesn't sound like a great man of faith does it jacob but verse 15 it says so the men took the presents or took that, that present <clears throat> and Benjamin and they took double the money in their hand and they arose and they went down to Egypt and they stood before Joseph. And when Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, take these men to my home and slaughter an animal and make ready for these men will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered and the man brought <clears throat> the men into Joseph's house. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may make a case against us and seize us and take us as slaves with our donkeys. <laughs> Don't you ever, do you ever find yourself in that, in that spot where you're facing the what if? And, and, how, and how often do we go in our minds to the what if situation of the worst possible thing that we can ever conclude? But how often does that worst possible what if ever really come to pass? You know, this is where fear and anxiety take holds of our hearts. And I love Philippians chapter 4, what it tells us, you know, basically to disregard the what ifs in our lives. To focus on what is true and good and noble and praiseworthy. The things that are lovely and of a good report. Set your mind on these things so that the God of peace would guard our hearts and minds with His peace, a peace that surpasses the understanding of the situation. And I love that passage of Scripture because <clears throat> the reality of what we read here in this what-if moment that these, these brothers have put themselves in are, are what-if situations that we face too. And they do us no good. They only bring us 
into the place of fear. And we need to remember that, and we need to remember what Paul writes to us then in Philippians. But anyway, we read on, and it says, when they drew near the steward of Joseph's house, they talked with him at the door of the house. And they said, verse 20, Oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food, but it happened when we opened up our sacks, and there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight, so we've brought it back in our hand, and we have brought down other money in our hand to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. Honest, right? But he said, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your your sacks. I had your money. Then he brought Simeon out to them. Verse 24, so the man brought the men into Joseph's house and they gave him water and washed their feet (laughs) and he gave their donkey feed. Not what they expected, is it? Then they made the present ready for Joseph's coming at noon and they heard that they would eat bread there. And when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand into the house and bowed down before him to the earth. Just all in all, guys, I want you to know that in total, because that's significant again to the dreams that Joseph originally had 20 years ago, and where, where, he was, where the dream revealed how his brothers would bow down, how Joseph would be lifted to a place of authority. It was a prophetic dream given by God. But in total, five times through this account, five different times, Joseph's brothers are recorded bowing down. And, and that's significant for us to remember because I'm a little ahead of myself, but it's significant for us to remember because it reveals to us that when God says that He's going to do something, He does it. And that's something for us to remember. Even this morning when we are in those situations where we feel like our back's up against the wall, we have no other choice to make, we feel hopeless, we feel despair, we feel overwhelmed by our situation and our circumstances, but yet we can trust in the fact that God is for us, that He's with us, that He's not against us, just like His Word says, and that He's faithful to do what He has promised to do for us and will continue to do so. That our circumstances and our situation, which seem to be at times through our own eyes impossibilities that can't be overcome by God really are God doing a work to show us that he can do anything and everything even when we see no other way and God was bringing this to pass just like he said he would and I'm I guarantee you I'm sure that as Joseph faced being sold into slavery when he was in that pit and his brothers were plotting to kill him, and he could hear that as they were plotting to kill him, and then as they decided to sell him into slavery, and then when he was in Potiphar's house and he was raised up, and then he was brought down and put into prison for being falsely accused, I'm sure in those moments, in those times of difficulty, in those circumstances that didn't line up with what he had heard God reveal to him earlier, that Joseph was going, God, how are you going to bring to pass these things that you said you would do? And I think we've all been in that spot, probably more than once, where our eyes have seen things that have caused us to go, God, how can you do what you said you were going to do for me? Look at what's going on. But I love the book of Hebrews, which tells us that you know, faith isn't um, walking by what we see. Faith is an evidence of things that is hoped for and, and the substance of, of, of things that are unseen. And that, and that when we walk by faith, it's not a blind faith, but it's, it's, it's walking with the hope and the trust that God is greater than what we see with our own eyes and bigger to overcome the things that we do see with our eyes. And here, Joseph's brothers were bowing down before him. Five times they would. And we read about that again in verse 28. But in verse 27 it says, Then he asked him about their well-being and said, Is your father well? And the old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant our father is in good health. He is alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. Then he lifted his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and he said, Is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And he said, God be gracious to you, my son. Now his heart yearned for Joseph. So Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. 
And he went into his chamber and wept there. And then he washed his face and came out and he restrained himself and said, serve the bread. So they set him a place by himself and <clears throat> and then uh, and, and them by themselves um, and the Egyptians who ate with him by themselves because Egyptians could not eat food with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat before him the firstborn according to his birthright, which is very interesting. These guys have to be, the, the, the nine, the ten sons at this point have to be wondering what was going on. How did they know this, right? And they set before him the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment at one another. Something was up, right? And then they took, and then he took servings to them from before him, but Benjamin's servings was five times as many as the others, so they drank and they were merry with him. Now, I want to start in verse 34 before we go back to verse 1. Why do you think that Joseph would give five additional portions to Benjamin? I don't think it was because Benjamin was five times as hungry. And I don't even think it was because Joseph loved Benjamin more than he loved the rest of his brothers. As a matter of fact, Joseph had been on the receiving end of the favoritism from his father, and he saw how that was detrimental, how that was no good. But we know that because of the favoritism that Joseph had been shown to, uh, had received from his fathers, that his brothers envied him. Remember? And it, we were told that, that at that time when they cast Joseph in the pit and he took his coat of many colors off of him and they ended up selling him into slavery rather than killing him you know, so they could get a profit, we're told that that envy that they felt with Joseph, for Joseph as a result of the father's favoritism filled their hearts with hatred towards Joseph is what we're told. And what we see here is, is this whole thing, remember, is a test. That God is using Joseph to test these brothers, to convict them of their sin, to bring this place, bring, to open up the door for restoration through repentance. And so God was confronting them once again with the envy that had been in their heart. How would they respond in this situation when Benjamin was being showed favoritism? Would they allow for envy? to take hold of their hearts and again fill them with hatred? Or had they changed? Were they being changed? And what we see here at the very end of this is an indication that they were being changed, that God was working in the circumstances because they weren't filled with envy. What did it say? It said, so they drank and they were merry with Him. You know, you, you, can't, be, you can't share in someone else's joy of their blessing if you have envy against them, can you? It's not possible. But we don't read that here. Now, if you look back to the beginning of this chapter with me, we're told that <clears throat> this famine apparently was lasting much longer than what Jacob expected. And I, I honestly believe that Jacob's plan was that he wasn't going to send his sons back with Benjamin, he had made that decision and he was banking on the fact that the famine would, would, would relent and that they would be okay. There would be no need and then somehow, some way, he'd be able to maybe retrieve Simeon. And maybe not even that was part of his plan. Maybe he had just completely written Simeon off. We don't know for sure. But, but as each day passed without any end in sight, Jacob and his sons slowly watched their food supply diminish. But because Jacob had refused to send Benjamin to Egypt... None of his sons, once again, were willing to bring up this issue of going back to Egypt for some food. Yet Jacob's unwillingness to face the reality of the situation was causing all of them to suffer, especially Simeon, right? Who was back in Egypt, locked up as a prisoner. Yet Jacob's unwillingness to face this, this reality was, soon came to an end when, when, when all the grain was gone. And when all the, the grain was gone, Jacob finally spoke to his sons in verse 2, and he said, as we read, go back and buy us a little food. And, and we see that this was the opportunity, and perhaps Judah was just waiting for this. He seems to be right there. He seems to have his words prepared. But it was, it was the opportunity for Judah to step forward and to remind his father of the dilemma that they were all facing. And how could they? And, they, and he says, we could and we can't, and we won't go back without Benjamin. Yet we see... A blindness. 
And we see that with Jacob's blindness to this unhealthy relationship that was now with Benjamin, coupled, we know from last week, we were told that he had this hidden suspicion about his sons that it made Jacob difficult to reason with. In fact, in verse 6, we see that, that, that Jacob, even in this situation, blames his sons for the current trouble that had come upon them. But rather than argue with his father, Judah avoided uh, a, really a pointless debate over the circumstances, over circumstances that could not be changed, and in doing so, he just offers himself as surety. He offers himself as surety for Benjamin to guarantee a safe return and says, if it doesn't happen, then I will be the one to take the full blame. In other words, he said, I will take the consequences, whatever it will be. And and in this, like Reuben, who was previously offered his two sons for surety for Benjamin, uh, when they first returned, we see that Judah's offer reveals that he too was also experiencing a change. There was something going on inside of his heart since that time when he had sold Joseph into slavery and perhaps you know we we're told a little bit about 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 joseph and some of the or uh, about judah excuse me and some of the events that had taken place while joseph was in slavery if you remember in chapter 38 we were told about his daughter-in-law tamer right and and i don't want to go back over that but you can you read that if you if you don't know about that if you weren't here when we were studying it but perhaps that experience with tamer recorded back in chapter 38, had even been something that God had used to work on him to teach Judah some lessons. After all, Judah had come to know what it was like to grieve the loss of two of his very own sons, had he not, during this time? Nevertheless, Judah, in dealing with his father, he made it clear in verse 8 that their situation was now a matter of life and death for them and for their little ones. And Jacob's scolding of his son was really only a futile attempt to escape this decision that he had to, had to make. It's a little whiny, a little pouting. I don't want to make decisions. It's all your fault. How'd you get me in this spot? He had to send Benjamin. Jacob had to send Benjamin so they could return. Otherwise, they would all die from starvation. But we must not forget that in all of these things, which appeared to be completely out of Jacob's control, was still in God's control. God was in control of all these circumstances. He had ordained them. He was working in them. And He was doing a good work. And in light of this, we need to see that the, that the very thing, guys, the very thing that Jacob was holding on to, Benjamin, the very thing that Jacob was unwilling to trust God with, Benjamin. And I have to ask, in, that, in light of that in our lives, what is that thing in our lives? What is our Benjamin? What is that thing that we're holding on to? That we're unwilling to let go of? That we're unwilling to trust God with? The very thing that Jacob was hanging on to, the very thing that, 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 that Jacob was not trusting God with is what God was challenging Jacob to surrender to him. Trust me. And he was given the opportunity to do so freely back in the last chapter in order to achieve Simeon, but he resisted. He would not relent. And the ironic thing about this letting go of Benjamin is that it would be the very thing that would end up, or the very thing that God would use to restore Simeon and Joseph, something he wasn't even thinking about at this time, back to him and give Jacob ultimately what his heart desired if he would have just let go, right? But this could only happen only after Jacob let go of Benjamin, only after he let go of what he was holding on to and was willing to take hold of God. And this fact points us to a truth within the kingdom of God. It's a kingdom truth. And kingdom truths are completely different than the temporal world that we live in, the truths that are in in this world. A a kingdom truth in regards to us letting go and putting our trust in God. And it directs us to the words of Jesus and to our own relationship with God. Remember, Jesus said this in Luke chapter 17, verse 33. Whoever seeks to save his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life will preserve it. And the kingdom truth is that is in the letting go is where God, God works 
to save. Where God works to restore. And in light of this, I think we can relate to Jacob in that there are those times when we find ourselves unwilling to let go of our lives, unwilling to let go of things that that we're holding on to and trust God. Yet we see that God will work through our circumstances, won't He? That's what we see here with Jacob, is is God was working through his circumstances. God was not going to allow Benjamin to be in this ungodly place that Jacob had put him. And God will not allow for that in our own lives. God will work in our circumstances and bring us to the place where we have no other choice but to give up the very thing that we're holding on to in order that we too might be delivered. Yet even in this place where God has to bring us into submission, we can trust that it's always for our own good and always for the good of those around us. And even though I am grateful, and I'm sure you guys are too, that God will allow for hard things to corner me and to direct me into my will so that my life ultimately in Him will be preserved when it's all over, I have to remember how much less of a heartache that I would go through if I would just freely let go when God calls, when God gives the opportunity. And put my trust in Him rather than resist like Jacob who said, if it must be so, if there's no other way, if it must be so. And in verse 11, we read this, and the father of Israel said to them, if it must be so, if there's no other way, then do this. Take some of the best fruits of the land and your vessels and carry down a present for the man and a little balm and a little honey, spices, myrrh, pistachio nuts and almonds and even take double the money back in your hand and take back in your hand the money that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take your brother also and arise and go back to the man. And then finally, verse 14, and may God Almighty give you the mercy before this man that he may release your older brother brother and Benjamin. If I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. If I lose it all, I lose it all. What other choice do I have? So clearly there's a difference, guys, when we read through this. There's a difference between surrendering our lives and our things and our relationships, our, our, whatever it is, your work, there's a, there's a difference between, between surrendering to God's loving providence when He calls. There's a difference between that and, 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 and being bowed down by our circumstances, isn't it? There's a difference between surrendering to God's loving providence and being bowed down by our circumstances. And Jacob's statements here in these verses... The first one, if it must be so, and then the one at the end that I read, if I'm bereaved, I'm bereaved. It really reveals the place where Jacob was standing. He was not just surrendering to God's loving providence in his mind, right? In his circumstances, he was being bowed down by them. And God will be faithful. God's always faithful to say, hey, trust me. Let go. Come to me. But if we don't willingly surrender in those times and those situations where stuff's out of line in our lives, God, because He loves us and because we are His kids, will cause us to be bowed down by our circumstances, to bring us to that place where we feel like we have no other choice to make. And we go, what else do I got to lose? If I die, I die. As a matter of fact, we can even be like the children of Israel that were wandering, or that were being delivered from from. from Egyptian slavery some 400 years later from this right under the hand of Moses and they get out into the wilderness and they go, God's brought us here to kill us. Really? He delivered you with the ten plagues. He parted the Red Sea. He drowned Pharaoh's army behind you. And now He's brought you out here just to kill you. But yet that's sometimes how we feel. When God's going, hey, just give that to me. We're like, no, 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 no. And we're hanging on to it. We're hanging on to it. We're not trusting with our lives. And God puts us in this situation because of our circumstances where we have no other choice to make. And we cry out, if I die, I die. 
This is where Jacob was at. And I think it's worth pointing out that these kinds of responses really doesn't sound like the Jacob of Bethel who had claimed the promises of God in faith and in might and had a whole army of angels there caring for him as he faced his brother, right? Nor is it the Jacob who we read about just a few few weeks ago who had led his family back to Bethel from the city of Shechem for a new beginning with God. Okay, God called us to Bethel. We messed up here. We're going to Bethel, guys. Let's go. And they all go and they build the altar and they recommit their lives to the Lord, to God, on the promises that God had made him. And just shortly after all these things, this, this, this decline in his life, spiritual life. And, and, and I believe this is due to the fact that uh, because of this, as we read the story and we see this and we see what, what has gone on, and it, it can be true even in our own lives, guys, but Jacob had allowed for his feelings of grief and despair, which, which really began, I think, with the loss of Joseph and had continued in, in all these different circumstances that it allowed him to move his eyes off, off of God. And so, when, and so when the fear and despair took hold of his heart in this situation, we see that it almost completely extinguished his faith. And maybe you're in a place where you feel like that today. Where you've gotten your eyes so off of God and you've traveled so far away in your mind. You've allowed those feelings, whatever they were, because of something that may have happened, to, to get your eyes off of God and now you're overwhelmed by your fear, by your anxiety, by your worry, by your discouragement, whatever it may be. And, and you, you feel like you're wavering in your faith that you want to let go as you know that God's calling you to, but trusting in Him seems like a really scary thing because your faith is weak. So with Jacob, rather than respond in faith, he reacted to his circumstances. Do you see that? Rather than respond in faith, he reacted to his circumstances. And even more so, we see in his, in his flesh, even in this place where he said, there's nothing I can do. He tries to control the situation. He tries to control something that was clearly out of his control by instructing his sons. Okay, this is exactly what I want you guys to do. This is exactly what I want you guys to say. And this is what I want you to take. Take double the money and take all these gifts, right? All in an attempt to appease the governor of Egypt. He was trying to control something that clearly he had no control over. And when you're reacting to your circumstances, even those ones you know you're out of control of, don't you desperately try to hold on to it and control them? And it's just futility, isn't it? But only after doing, guys, and I don't mean this in a good way, I mean this in a negative way, only after doing all that he could do on his own, we do see Jacob calling upon the name of God in verse 14 as a blessing to his sons and say, and may God Almighty give you mercy before the man. And I find that so funny. I find that so funny because even though Jacob had called upon the name of God with the Hebrew name El Shaddai in this passage, which means the all-sufficient one. I see irony, and I have to point out the irony in this, in this, considering Jacob calls upon God as the all-sufficient one, recognizes him as the all-sufficient one, only after he comes to the end of his sufficiency, his own sufficiency. But Jacob did hear what I think we're all prone to do, in that we see prayer and then calling upon God as the all-sufficient one as our last option rather than our first option, right? We do all this. I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, and I'm going to do this. And, 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 and when none of that works, what do we do? Oh, dear God, you're the all-sufficient one. Please help. But in doing so, I don't think any of us can only profess that in those moments that we truly put our faith and trust in the fact that God is our all-sufficient one, we say, God, if everything I do doesn't work out, then will you please step in? And how foolish is that? That's exactly what Jacob's doing in this situation. Now, as Joseph's brothers were sent out with their father's command, and really with this half-hearted blessing, we can see that they had many reasons to be fearful, did they not? Fearful of what might happen to them on their return. And in, in the next set of verses, I'm not going to read them but like I did the others, but in verses 16 through 23, if you want to look there, we see that they were afraid, first of all, being accused of stealing the money that had been found in their bags from that first trip. Additionally, we know that they had not immediately returned to Egypt with Benjamin like Joseph had commanded, and their delay would have been another reason 
to question their honesty, right? I'm sure that was going through their minds. But in addition to this, there was this issue of how are we going to get Simeon released? They had the the safety of Benjamin to be concerned with. And, And if we look back to chapter 40. Two verse eleven. What we are told is that in inside all of them, the, uh, underlying all these things, is that they were all dealing with these feelings of guilt that they had from selling Joseph into slavery. In fact, each one of them believed they had said that this whole situation that they were now on in had come upon them for the wrong that they had done to their brother, and they concluded that their end would not be good as they were now finally getting what they deserved. You ever feel like that? Especially in the situations where you feel like your back's up against the wall. Sometimes we, we misinterpret that and go, I'm just, finally God's given me what I deserve. Right? And, 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 and these guys had real reasons to believe that. So when they were brought to Joseph's house, they were afraid, we're told. They actually thought that they were going to be made slaves. And suspecting the worst, they tried to preempt what they thought was coming. So they spoke to the steward of Joseph's house and they told him how they had found the money in their bags. But rather than having to explain the unexplainable, you ever been in this situation? I don't know how I'm going to explain this. There's just no explanation for it. And you feel like your neck's on the line. But rather than have to explain the unexplainable, they were encouraged to have peace. To not be afraid by Joseph's steward. And he had said to them that, hey, I, ha- I have your money. So God must have put the treasure in your sacks. And then, immediately following that, we're told that Simeon was brought to him. And then they were given water to wash and their feet were washed. And then they were given food for their donkey's feet. And then they were told that they soon would be sharing a meal with the governor. A thing of honor. And this was just the beginning of Joseph's brothers getting what they did not expect and getting what they did not deserve. Yet this is a perfect picture of how it is for us when we come to Jesus. Is it not? A perfect picture for us of how it is when we come to Jesus. The point is, we all know that we're sinners. Everyone does. We all know that we are sinners who have fallen short of God's standards. And we all know that we're even guilty of breaking all of God's commands and that we've done so deliberately, at least once, right? We all know that. And because we're aware of our own faults and our own failures and even our own rebellion, it's right for us in that awareness to expect God's judgment and to get what we justly deserve. However, We know for those who have put our faith in Jesus Christ that it's only part of it. We cannot forget the mercy and the grace of God that comes to us through our faith in Jesus. We cannot forget, I love this passage of Scripture. It's one of my most favorite passages of Scripture in the entire Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 17 through 19. I'm going to paraphrase it. We can't forget this. It tells us that because of our faith in Jesus, we are a new creation. Can't forget that. We can't forget it says that the old has gone away and the new has come and that God has reconciled us to Himself and has not, it says, counted our sins against us. Are you kidding me? See, people out there in the world don't believe that. They don't know that story. They've not heard that message that you and I have received. They think that God's just waiting to count their sins against them. As a matter of fact, we have an enemy called Satan who speaks those lies even to us now as those who are in faith and saved through the grace and mercy and forgiveness of God. The enemy says that God just wants to count your sins against you. Look what you've done. God's keeping a record and you're going to have to give an account and boy, when that happens, He's going to bring the hammer. Or we think that we're in this trouble and in this situation because God's punishing us for something that we've done. And that's even when our own heart condemns us. And what are those things designed to do? It's designed to keep us away from God. Separate us from God who loves us. But we cannot forget, again, that because of our faith in Jesus, we're a new creation. The old has gone away. The new has come. We've been reconciled to God by Himself, and He's not 
counted our sins against us. And because of that, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 9, it tells us that because of these things, guys, God's not appointed us to wrath. It says, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. The bottom line is, um, Justin, if you guys want to come up, we're going to do, um, with the time that we have left, we're going to do uh, a, a time of prayer. And if you've been coming, you know what that's like. If you're new, what we're going to do is some of the, the leaders in the church are going to come forward for a time where you can ask for prayer. Maybe for the things that we've been talking about this morning where you need prayer to let go. Maybe you're in a difficult situation where you feel like your back's up against the wall. Or maybe your heart's condemning you. Maybe you feel like God doesn't love you and that you're not forgiven. And you need to pray and have that reassurance. Because the bottom line is, guys, our relationship with God is founded on and sustained by His mercy and His grace. Not our good works. It's not a result of if you've sinned today or if you've not sinned today that makes you eligible or acceptable to come into God's presence. And because of God's grace and because of God's mercy, the Bible tells us we have no reason to be afraid. Joseph's brothers had no reason to be afraid, did they? They didn't know that. I mean, obviously all these things were stacked against them. But Joseph loved God and he loved his brothers. As a matter of fact, they should have had some indications of this. Even when the steward was going, hey guys, God must have done it. Your God, the God of your father, pointing them to God, pointing them to God. And this morning, God's drawing us to Himself. In fact, in verse, 1 John chapter 4, verse 18, it tells us, guys, that there's no fear in love and that perfect love drives out fear. And because God's perfect love has been given to us through Jesus, you know what that means? We have no reason to fear. If you're covered by the blood of Jesus, you have no reason to fear. Because God's grace is enough. In fact, we're told in the book of Hebrews that with these truths in our hearts and with these truths in our minds is is that we should enter in, that we should come boldly into God's presence and expect that He's going to help us in our time of need. And this morning, I would encourage you to do that. If there's something that's heavy on your heart that you need to bring before the Lord, if there's somebody that you need to lift up prayer or lift up in prayer. Do that with one of the people that are going to be up front this morning. If you need to make things right, because God's convicted you and shown you some things in your own life, even this morning through the study, if you need to make it right, come forward and receive some prayer. Maybe you need a physical healing. Come and ask for prayer. This is the time to do so. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, God, for your word, for encouragement that's found in it, the hope that we're reminded of that we have in you, your grace and your mercy and forgiveness. And Lord, even though we do, uh, we've all done things that deserve your judgment and your wrath, God, um, there's none that's been stored up for us. You've not counted our sin against us, but you've reconciled us to you, through you. And there's nothing that we have to do but yet trust in You and believe upon You and call upon the name of Your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that we would all do that again this morning, Lord. That we wouldn't hesitate, that we wouldn't wait, that we see that You are a good God working in our circumstances for our good and for Your glory. Lord, we love You and we praise You in Jesus' name.